But I also want to join my welcome with, with that of Michelle's and welcoming you to this new series that we are starting entitled Moving Forward. Uh, you know, in this series, we'll be dealing with three areas that we have identified the need to move forward in as a church uh, at our solemn assembly early this year. And they are the need to move from fear to faith, from pride to humility, and from control to submission. Uh, these three areas were common themes uh, that were discerned at several leadership gatherings, prayer meetings, and interviews with uh, leaders and congregants. And I, and I really believe that there are a couple of good reasons for this series of messages. Firstly, these three areas of fear, of pride, and control are huge obstacles to living victoriously for Christ. They are areas of struggle, really, for every believer. And at the same time, faithfulness, humility, and submissiveness are uh, characteristics vital to a life of godliness. And so we really need the Word of God to instruct us in how to move forward in these areas. And then secondly, I believe that as a church, for us to experience full healing and restoration, we not only have to identify these three areas, but we actually need to repent of them and turn to God. You know, the Lord mentions uh, in First Chronicles seven fourteen that if my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land. I remember that after this year's solemn assembly, someone actually pointed out the, that the theme of a previous solemn assembly was that our church was this orchard. And that God was calling us into this great time of fruitfulness. And so we rejoiced uh, and we anticipated, you know, for this time, right? However, we actually soon realized that for trees to become fruitful, even more fruitful, it actually needs pruning. And that's what we believe this past year has been, a time of pruning. And pruning is often painful. And it is necessary, though, for greater fruitfulness. So, in a sense, God was just in the process of fulfilling his promise to us as a church. And God has also so, been so gracious to not only show us these uh, areas uh, to, for us to grow in, but also to give us wisdom in identifying uh, areas that needed structural and spiritual renewal. We praise God for giving us clarity around our vision and core values that we rolled out just a couple of months ago. And as a church, we've also made significant structural um, changes just at our last congregational meeting. I know it was long and sometimes arduous, but we believe that it actually helps us to be more effective in fulfilling our mission. And in the area of spiritual renewal, uh, we believe that there's been great strides that have been made over the past few months as staff and elders have been going through um, uh, what's called a um, uh, discernment process, um, a restorative process, led by people from our district with the Christian Initial Alliance, which focused really on our own spiritual well-being, not looking at anybody else, but on us and any need for repentance and a way to move forward. And by God's grace, that we realize that in order for us to fulfill this vision of transformed by Jesus and transforming communities, that we needed to identify those areas for growth. So I believe that this series is actually very important for us as a church in this whole area of spiritual renewal. So when Dave uh, told me that he was going to be away uh, for three Sundays this summer, I just felt that that was confirmation for us 
that we needed to look into this series. And so my prayer is that God will actually do a powerful work uh, in us in these next few weeks. And so today, we're going to actually look at um, that first in their series on how to move from fear to faith, uh, both as individuals and as a church. Now, moving uh, from fear to faith is really a work of God that God longs to do uh, in his people. But it actually requires this huge mindset change, uh, requiring every single one of us, really, uh, to, um, to not uh, only put those things in uh, a website or on a stationery, but for all of us to develop this culture of faith that will result in the whole church moving forward. We'll need to live out these core values that we identified of prayerfulness, of being humble, of uh, being relational and courageous, humble and empowering. That we do that uh, in everything that we do. So whether it be in, as we plan goals, as we... Um, um, make decisions as we run every ministry and as we relate to every person. And before we dive in into you know, how we move from fear to faith, we need to actually ask the question, what is fear? What does the Bible talk, say about fear? You know, the Bible uh, dictionary actually uh, says that there are ten Hebrew words for fear and eight, uh, Hebrew nouns, sorry, and eight verbs uh, for fear in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, there's one noun and one verb, and that's where we get the word phobia from. You know, the, uh, these words uh, cover a range of emotion, really from mild uneasiness all the way to stark terror, depending on the object of your fear and the circumstances around that experience. But essentially, the Bible talks about two kinds of fear. Even with all those types of words, it talks about two types of fears. The first type is helpful and beneficial. And in fact, the Bible encourages us, uh, encourages this type of fear. And it's the fear of the Lord. It's a special nuance to the word fear and refers to this reverential awe and worshipful um, obedience to God. It's a, a respect of his power and of his glory as well as his anger, his wrath, and his displeasure. It's a reaction of God's people to who he is and what he has done. It's often an encouragement to obedience and to service. And I love what author Eugene Merrill says, that to fear God is to know him, and to know him is to fear him. And the Bible tells us that the fear of the Lord brings many blessings and benefits. In Psalm 111, it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In uh, Proverbs 19, it says that it leads to life to rest and contentment and peace. And so this, um, sec- this, uh, um, this first type of fear is, uh, but the, sorry, the second type of fear is not beneficial at all. If the first one has benefits and blessings, the second type of fear is destructive. It's characterized by a spirit of fear. In Second um, Timothy one seven, it says that for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, of love, and of self-discipline. And again, I said that this type of fear is harmful. But before we talk about this type of fear, we do need to understand that when the Bible says "fear not" or "do not be afraid," it doesn't mean that we can never be afraid, because there are fearful situations in our lives, and fear is a legitimate response to, uh, to them. 
We all have concerns about our personal well-being. Now, we may be afraid of the unknown in our lives. Uh, We can ask the question, what happens if I lose my job? What will happen if um, I get sick or disabled? Will I be able to pay the bills? Will I be able to send my kids to college? Will I have enough for retirement? You know, relationships are really important to us. And so we worry how people see us. We're afraid of rejection. And so we ask, well, do my coworkers like me or my boss? Are my friends really my friends? Am I being a good spouse? Am I being a good parent? And for those who are us, who was, was our parents, sorry, for those of us who are parents, you know, we love, we love our kids and we want what's best for them. And so we're concerned about their walk with God, we're concerned about their safety, and we are concerned about their futures. And so um, we continue to, uh, in a sense, worry or be anxious or concerned. But, you know, courage really isn't an absence of fear, but it's doing the right thing in the midst of fear and despite of our fear. In the spirit of fear that Second Timothy talks about is uh, something that actually enslaves us. Romans 8.15 says that, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption of sons, whom, whom we cry, Abba, Father. And you know, this type of fear binds us to fearful thoughts that lead to fearful actions. And we develop this spirit of fear when, and we take on this fearful mentality and we develop this what-if mentality. Well, what if, what if this happens and what if that happens? And at its core, the spirit of fear is unbelief toward God. And it leads to a life of worry and anxiety. The Bible really calls unbelief sin. That's why the author of Hebrews exhorts us in chapter 3, verse 12, says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns you away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So while the fear of God has lots of benefits and blessings, a spirit of fear makes us miserable. You know, it robs us of our health with stress-related conditions. It affects our productivity because we become obsessed about things that we actually can't control. Uh, And it ruins relationships because when we're afraid, we draw back, we pull back from people. But you know what the worst thing about fear is? that it prevents us from worshiping God. You know, let me give you a specific example about that. Let's say that I'm afraid of not having enough money. So I choose not to give. I withhold my offerings to the Lord. I don't give to missions or I don't give to causes that work with the poor. And I say, you know what, when things get better, I'm going to start giving. So not only am I sinning because I am now uh, not being a good steward of the resources that God has entrusted to me. And he says, all of that is mine. And I have entrusted that to you. And I have called you to give. So not only am I sinning, but I'm also missing out on God's blessing. Because it says that God loves a cheerful giver. That we reap sparing, if we reap sparingly, we will sow, um, sorry, we will, if we uh, sow sparingly, we will reap sparingly. And what we often forget in this area of giving is that giving is a form of worship. 
So not only has fear caused us to sin and to miss God's blessing, it has also prevented us from worshiping God. And we are, when we're not worshiping God, we're turning away from Him. And that's what Hebrews talks about. God says that you will either worship God, or Him, or you will worship money. You can't have one or the other. And so it actually leads to idolatry in our lives. And that's just one example of how fear can affect us in one area. Hebrews 3 tells us that not only does fear turn us away from God, but over time it actually hardens our hearts by its deceitfulness. And it becomes an even more difficult thing to turn back to God, to return to God. Because the road of worry and fear and anxiety is a well-worn road. Many have traveled that road. It has deep ruts, and it's difficult to get out of it once you're in it. And the longer that you're in it, the deeper the rut gets, and the more difficult it is to get out. And so if we don't want to live in fear, how do we overcome fear? Well, the Bible is very clear that, and teaches us, and these are the songs we just sung, that we overcome fear with faith. We battle fear with the good fight of faith. And in order to do that, we need to know what faith is. And uh, for that, we want to go to what is probably one of the most defining, uh, definitive passages in the Bible on faith. And that's in Hebrews chapter 11 and chapter 12. This is our main text for this morning. And so I encourage you to turn there in your Bibles or on your devices and follow along with me. Hebrews 11 verse 1 starts with a defining faith. He says, now faith is the confidence of what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And I love how the New Living Translation puts it. It says that faith shows the reality of what we hope for and the evidence of things that we cannot see. And so this definition is then followed by a series of by-faith statements of these Old Testament characters who have gone before us. And I've just picked three, verse 7, verse 8, and verse 27. And it says, by faith, Noah, who was warned about things not yet seen, about this impending judgment, in holy fear, built the ark to save his family. And in verse 8, it says, By faith, Abraham, whom, who when called to go to a place he would have later received as his inheritance, so it was already promised to him, he obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him in the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And then in verse 27, by faith, Moses left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. We're going to look at that a little bit later, but as you can see, these ancients all faced these uh, very fearful situations in their lives. Huge. And then this list is then followed up with an exhortation, an appeal in Hebrews 12, starting with verse 1. And it says, therefore, so after all of this being considered, it says, therefore, since you are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us then throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race that's been marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith who seeing the joy set before him, endured the cross and scorned its shame and, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And then it says, consider him. 
Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So in light of these pioneers of faith who have gone before us and cheering us on and you know, their faith and ours coming together as a whole, we're exhorted to throw off everything that hinders, including fear. It hinders us from running this long-distance marathon of faith. And then it calls us to fix our eyes on Jesus. And that same word really is consider. Consider Jesus. The one who went before all of us as the ultimate pioneer of the faith. And then it says, then consider him who endured opposition from sinners, which you and I were when he died for us, so that we will not grow weary and lose heart. So in your journey of faith, have you ever grown weary? Have you ever lost heart in these fearful situations that you faced? You know, when I looked up the word consider in the dictionary, it said it, it, it means to think carefully about someone before making a decision. To think about and be drawn toward a course of action. Or to regard someone as having a specified quality. So in other words, we're to contemplate, to think of, to reflect on Jesus. You know, Hebrews was initially written to uh, Jewish Christians who were experiencing persecution, growing persecution. And as a result, some of them were starting to drift away from the faith. And some actually uh, abandoned the faith. Some returning back to Judaism. So after 10 chapters of the author building up his case of the supremacy of Christ, that Jesus is better than angels and Moses. They were the, um, uh, the initiators of the old covenant, the mediators of it. And that they were better than, he was better than priests and the tabernacle. That we are exhorted to consider him as supreme over all things. You know, what happens uh, when we are afraid sometimes? That we go back to what is familiar to us. So for these Jewish Christians, they go back to Judaism. It was familiar to them. Persecution comes, and they revert back to Judaism. What happened to some of the disciples when Jesus was crucified on the cross? Some of them went back to fishing. And why do we do that? Because we forget how superior Jesus really is. That we forget that uh, our life of fear before Christ is infinitely inferior to our life of faith with Christ. You know, the Bible actually likens it to um, this way of life of fear, to a dog returning to its vomit. And so, to move from fear to faith, you and I need to consider four things as is fleshed out for us in our text. And firstly, in your fear... Consider the person of God. In other words, think about who he is. Again, verse 7 of chapter chapter 11, Noah built the boat and he preached to the people of this impending doom because why? He had this reverential awe of God's holiness. Abraham moved his entire family to, to this strange land to live among a people who were strangers to him because he considered the one who was making the promise. You know, when you struggle with fear, consider the Father. It was just as Ricky so rightly pointed out. That same Heavenly Father loves you, that He sent His Son to die for you. He said that nothing could ever separate you from that love. Neither angels or demons or life or death itself cannot separate you from His love. 
In fact, his perfect love will drive out and should drive out every fear in our lives. And in as much as we love our children, God infinitely loves us more. Jesus tells us to not worry about what we'll eat or drink or about what we will wear. He said he knows them already because he's all-knowing and he cares about the birds of the air and the grass of the field. And he will provide for us as well because he is faithful. And so in your fear, consider the character of God. Secondly, consider the presence of God. I love Deuteronomy 1.6. says, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it's the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am God. I will strengthen you and I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You know, all these pioneers of faith in Hebrews 11 stake their lives on the presence of God. God being with them. I mean, think about it. If, you, if we believe that God is the God of the universe who loves us and is um, with a perfect love and is with us all the time, wouldn't that make all the difference in our lives, especially in these fearful situations? You know, I, um, in high school, uh, I was actually a runt. I was small. <laughs> and so very uh, susceptible to being picked on, right? And so, uh, but one thing, I was smart enough to, to pick uh, one of the tallest and largest person in my high school to be my locker buddy and friend. And so I would go, and you know, there was this hallway. is the hallway of terror where all the grade 12s. So, you know, you're in grade 8, and you're having to go through this gauntlet uh, of this hallway. And, you know, I don't know some, some of you ever heard of the Royal Flush, where they used to take these newbies in high school, and they would actually dump your head in the toilet, and then they would flush it. Right? And so we would walk through this. Uh, and so I would be glad when my friend Mark, who, you know, was president of, of uh, the captain of the volleyball team, he was captain of every sports team. And then when he was with me, then when I was by myself. And so where I would run really fast through that gauntlet. Uh, so again, when we think about the God of the universe being with us, how much that would make a difference. You know, when, even when they're kids, uh, when, you know, they have a nightmare and they cry out. And so you go out, you go and you lay with them for a little while and you say, it's okay, I'm right here. And that is what God is saying to us. I'm right here. So let's not be like the disciples who, after witnessing the feeding of the 5,000, you know, this great miracle, became afraid of the storm that came over them. Consider Jesus, the one who calmed the waves, and he is with you. And he can calm the storms of your life as well. Thirdly, when you're afraid, consider the power of God. So not only does God love us, um, and he's always with us, but he has infinite and unlimited power to help and deliver us. You know, Moses was able to deal with the Egyptian king's anger toward him because he saw who was invisible. Now, that seems like a strange statement. But what did Moses actually see? Well, he saw this manifestation of God through the burning bush, and he gave him his, uh, his orders to go and help free his people. He saw God actually bring ten powerful uh, plagues to Egypt so the Pharaoh would release God's people. He, he saw God actually part the Red Sea so they could walk right through it. And he saw God provide for over a million of his people 
in the wilderness through the manna. So Moses' faith was enabled, enabled him to see the reality of God's power, and that helped him overcome the, the visible reality in front of him. And that's why in Acts 4, and I love this prayer, you know, when the religious leaders threatened the lives of the apostles uh, for preaching the gospel, it says they raised their voices together in prayer to God, and they said, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You know, it's good to remind ourselves as we're praying, because oftentimes when we enter into prayer, we don't have much faith. And so even in prayer, remind yourself of who God is, and you will sense uh, faith building up in your heart and your lives, because you're stating this is who God is. And this is true in worship. You know, when we, when we begin worship, we come and we've got the weight of the world on us from the previous week, and we are reminded of who God is through these worship songs. And God strengthens our faith. And so they go on and says, You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. And then they remind themselves of Scripture, of what God has said in this word. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and your servants, sorry, uh, your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So in other words, they were saying, Lord, we're going to consider you. We're going to think of you, contemplate on you, think of your power and of your presence and of who you are, and you will consider them and their threats. And all this, after all this happened, it says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. It's interesting to note that, you know, nothing really happened regarding the threat. God didn't just remove the threat, but what he did give them was boldness. One of the things that caused fear in the heart of many believers is actually uh, when we need to share the gospel, when we need to proclaim and testify of his saving work on the cross with our friends or relatives and neighbors who don't know Christ. So in those situations, consider the power of God, and he is the one who is already at work in your friend's life. Lastly, in your fear, consider the promises of God. In verse 11 of chapter 11, it says, By faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because... She considered him faithful who had made the promise. So Hebrews 11 says that it wasn't Sarah's faith that made the difference, that it was that God was faithful. You know, I love James Hudson Taylor's um, words, a missionary to China, when he said, God isn't looking for great men and women of faith, but ordinary people who will trust in his great faithfulness. So it's not so much the size of our faith, but how big God is. Look at uh, Luke 11. The apostles said to the Lord, Lord, increase our faith. It's kind of like a prayer that we often pray. And the Lord answered, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, and you, many of you have seen a mustard seed. It's a tiny, tiny little seed. And you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and plant yourself in the seed, and it will obey. Again, God is pointing to, it's not the size of your faith, but it's the object of your faith. God will always keep his promises. Now, I do want to um, 
give a word of caution here as we think about the promises of God because you know, we want to be able to uh, bank on and, and claim these promises in God's word. In a church like ours, uh, there will be a wide range of experiences with regard to fear and faith. And some people who have certain health conditions, who have experienced trauma and abuse, will, uh, will often struggle with fear as a result of, maybe again, their brain chemistry, uh, their traumatic experience, and they will legitimately struggle with negative thoughts. And I want to encourage us to not judge, to not jump into con- to conclusions, because a person looking on the outside into those people's lives can judge them and say they're, not li- they're now living in fear and not in faith. But they may be exhibiting more faith in their perseverance in their situation than the average person who doesn't struggle in this way. But in love, let's extend grace and prayer to those who suffer. At the same time, like the rest of us, the, their process of moving from fear to faith is the same. That we are to consider Jesus and who he is and take every fearful thought captive for Christ. And on the other side of the spectrum, there are people with the gift of faith. Uh, God has given them um, this extra grace. And every believer, God gives faith too. But there are those with the spiritual gift of faith who have an increased capacity to believe. Uh, it's grace from God. It's a gift. And the caution here is not to develop pride and begin to judge other people. Oh, they're not trusting God and they're not trusting God. The exhortation, you just need more faith or you just have to believe, may not be all that helpful to those who are struggling the other caution is to not fall for this word of faith, name it or claim it teaching that is so prevalent today. You know, while God showed his glory in giving miraculous signs and answers to prayer throughout Hebrews 11, it actually ends, Hebrews 11 ends with, um, with this. It says that, you know, first Samson, who through faith turned his weakness into strength, David, through, through faith, conquered kingdoms. Then in Hebrews 11.35, it says that by faith, there were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might, they might gain on an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and floggings and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They, were, they went about in sheepskins and goatskins and destitute and persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. So let's learn from them and from other brothers and sisters who experience persecution. You know, all over the world they're experiencing persecution for their faith in Christ. Because they have considered Jesus and his supremacy over everything. Over imprisonment, over floggings, and even life itself. By faith they have endured great suffering. So God doesn't necessarily answer our prayers the way that we would want him to. Because most importantly, we need to consider Jesus, who himself endured opposition from sinners and suffered a horrible death on the cross. And he was the pioneer of faith. So let's learn that the reward of faith is not having perfect health or great wealth, but it is Christ himself. So we see that from our text. It's not always always God's will to rescue people from their situation. Faith is not a guarantee that all your prayers will be answered in a manner that we want. And our text tells us that 
We receive grace through miraculous answers to prayer, but we also receive grace as we endure hardship and persecution. And so as we just uh, close, and I invite the worship team to come as we respond to this, we ask the question, well, now that we know all of this, what should be our response? Well, I want to actually pause right now and take time to now, you know, we've considered God. I want us to consider ourselves, to think, contemplate about ourselves and our situation. And at this point, you know, maybe the Holy Spirit may already have been speaking to you about a specific area of fear that you struggle with. You may be here and maybe you still have the fear of death because you don't know where you're going when you die because you've never really turned over your life to the one who created it, who gave it to you. You've never trusted in the saving work of Christ on the cross. So today is your day. So I want us to take a moment, actually, and in the quietness of our own hearts, ask, Holy Spirit of God, would you enlighten my heart and mind to see the area of fear in my life that I need to repent of and show me how I can trust you in this area. I encourage you to be specific. You know, in that example I gave about giving, Lord, I repent of living under the spirit of fear when I withhold my offering from you because I'm afraid of not having enough. I acknowledge that this is sin that grieves you and I turn away from it. And then I would invite you to declare your trust in God. And in that same example, Father, I trust you to provide for me by starting to give regularly to your work. Have a specific action. Because remember that in many of the examples in Hebrews 11, faith came with an action. It says, by faith, Abel offered. By faith, Noah built. Abraham obeyed and went. Isaac blessed. Moses refused. And on and on and on. Faith is not just a feeling, but an active trust in God. So let's do that. And ask the Spirit of God to speak. And let us respond. He leads us. Lord, today we declare that you are supreme over everything in our lives. And our struggle with fear help us to consider your person, your presence, your power and your promises to us. Your word says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And so we commit to a regular time in your word to consider and meditate on who you are. You are awesome. Help us to hold on to those promises in your word and to take you at your word. Help us to preach these truths to our hearts. We will endeavor to write them down and memorize them so that we can quickly recall them in these times of fear and temptation. And by your grace, we'll recall and rehearse what you've done in our lives and our church in the past so that we can go back and be encouraged by the stories of your faithfulness in our lives. Enable us to reject fearful and negative thoughts and to take every thought captive for Christ. We know that we're in a battle and that you have given us every spiritual weapon needed to demolish any stronghold of fear. We will not be anxious about anything but in everything but the prayer and petition that we will present every request to you. 
And so would you give us the, the, the peace that surpasses even our own understanding? And so, Lord, would you give us boldness in preaching this gospel and the realization that you might not change our situation, but you will certainly change us in the process to become more like Christ. Would you fill us now with your spirit and glorify yourself as we renounce the spirit of fear and embrace the life of faith, considering Jesus supreme over all things. It's been my prayer that we'll all move from fear to faith as individuals. But really, we need to move from fear to faith as a church. And there have been statements of fear that we, many of us, have voiced, including me. Uh, you know, words like, you know, will more people leave our church? Will we ever get uh, a new lead pastor? You know, how will we land in this whole question of women as elders? You know, uh, will our leadership learn from their mistakes will we walk in this new way of uh, faith and my prayer for us is that we will consider Jesus in all of this and that we will understand this exhortation from Hebrews 12 that since we have this great cloud of witnesses that we will throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run the race with perseverance that's marked out for us as we fix our eyes on Jesus you go from here, may you fix your eyes on Jesus. Consider him who has both the power and, and this regular presence with you in your life. Go in Jesus' name. Amen.